one of the first jobs that I had in my life was that I worked in the body shop of an RV dealership, okay? And we did two things, basically. We, um, <laughs> the only people who bought RVs back in the 80s, uh, no offense, were old people. They had the money to buy the RVs. The young people came in and they would buy tent campers, right? That's what they could afford. And so we would sell these 40-foot Class A motorhomes, 24-foot uh, pull behind trailers to folks in their 60s who had never driven anything that massive. And we would tell them, you have a minimum clearance of 11 feet, six, you know, six inches or whatnot. And inevitably, they would drive under something that would peel back like gremlins, the top of their RV. And so we would have to fix it because it was new. And the second thing we did is that we uh, took used RVs that were trade-ins uh, that were maybe 10 years old, and we had to make them look like they had only been out once or twice. Okay, so that's what we did in the RV dealership. And the owner, the owner was a Christian, and, and he kind of wore his faith on his sleeve, and it was a, he made a big deal of the fact that he was a believer. And uh, he had framed scripture verses all throughout the body shop area and the employee area. So this is back in the days of 1980s you know, computers. So he, on a dot matrix printer, had printed out these scripture verses and framed them and, and put them on the walls, okay? So that's, that's what was on the walls. And the guys in the body shop would talk about, see, I only worked in the summer. They would talk about the Christmas uh, banquet and how the owner's pastor would come and give a gospel presentation. And then if you went to the banquet and you were there through the gospel presentation, you got your Christmas bonus. And that's how it worked. And so <laughs> some of you are cringing right now. <laughs> okay, so, so the guys in the shop, uh, uh, they weren't interested in their owner's faith for two reasons. And they had two gripes that they would mention time and time again. Gripe number one, he thinks he's better than us. Like they, and I didn't know the guy. Like It's not like we were buddy buddies, okay? So I don't know if it was true or not, but they, in their minds, they believed that this man thought he was better than them at some level. And, and the second thing that got their goat is um, that all, all of the salespeople would um, fib, about, oh, you know, this, this motorhome, you know, uh, motorhomes that had been in racks, like, and so there was a lot of fibbing that went on. And so the guy, again, the guys in the body shop were bothered by this. And so they, they had an expectation that this owner would be different, right? That, that was their expectation. I had a similar experience when, when I first moved to Kentucky. I wear eyeglasses. I need to get uh, eye prescriptions on a regular basis. And so uh, I saw a Christian optometrist. A buddy at seminary said, hey, you need to see this optometrist. He's an outstanding Christian. He gives discounts to people that are Asbury students and to pastors. And I was like, whoa, this is awesome. So I went in. It's not anybody who's in business anymore. They're, he's gone, okay? So based on where this story goes, I need to say that. <laughs> okay, so... so I went in and, and he was a deacon in his church. He was a well-respected leader and, and, and uh, apparently at home he would drink and swear like a sailor and beat his wife. And the police made many runs to his home. Now, when all of this came out and it kind of hit the fan, the people in his church were upset all of his clients were upset. Everybody was upset because they were like, you should have been 
different. You shouldn't have been that way. Like you're a sinner like the rest of us only you're worse because we don't beat our wives. Like, you know, and there was this thing that people were upset and, and, and crotchety about. So I have a question. What, what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be holy? I, I want to suggest to you that right now today in 2018, this is legit a four-letter word in America. And I don't mean it in the positive way. It's a four-letter word in America. We don't like the idea of holy and holiness anymore. And, and I double-dog dare you, go online and try and find a sermon of a pastor in a church of 10,000 or more on holiness. Go ahead. <laughs> Send me the links later today. This is not something that we like to talk about in church. And the first reason is, is what, I, what I just described in the two stories that I told. An emphasis on holiness has a tendency to result in, one, hypocrisy. People are supposed to be holy, and they're not. They're hypocrites. They, they're supposed to live a certain way, and they don't. And then the, the second reason is the people who actually manage to do all the right things and avoid all the wrong things, and that's what we tend to think holiness is, they do all the right things and they avoid all the wrong things, they can often develop an attitude of, holier than thou. They eventually start to think that they really are legit better than other people. And, and it's kind of like the Sneetches in the stars from Dr. Seuss. Now, the second reason, the second reason that holiness has kind of fallen out of favor among Christians and churches is because we value authenticity today in America. We want people to be real. Uh, and so we value authenticity and brokenness. And, and so that often means we want people to be flawed, broken, and dysfunctional. It, people will pat you on the back if you say, you know, as a mom, I just don't have it together. Oh, that's awesome. I don't like, that's, it's a badge of honor. You know, I just don't have it together. I'm not together. Um, and, and we're often resentful of the people who seem to have it together. Um, and so you see this in churches. This is an actual church name. Scum of the earth. Now, I've, this is in Denver, Colorado. One of, us, one of Josh's friends is part of the church, okay? So, scum of the earth. Authenticity, right? Now, I've often joked if someone starts a church in Nicholasville called the Church of the Victorious Saints, we are changing our name to Church of the Wretched Sinners, okay? Just, just know that if the Victorious Saints come to town. So, we value this kind of broken, raw, not together, flawed authenticity. And it, and it shows up in, in the ways that people talk about Christians today, in memes, in websites, uh, Lord, save us from your followers. I mean, there's a whole movie about that. Um, there's a book, Jesus Wants to Save Christians, uh, from a classmate of mine <laughs> from college. Uh, Death by Church, Finding Our Way Back to Jesus, Messy spirituality, right? And so all of these things are pointing to a level of authenticity that we want to embrace. But I want to suggest to you that one of the uncomfortable things about church is this call to holiness. God wants his people to be holy. Um, in Leviticus, uh, he says this, for I am the Lord your God, think Charlton Heston voice, you must consecrate yourselves and be holy because 
I am holy, so do not defile yourselves with any of these small animals that scurry along the ground. And many of us would say, amen. <laughs> okay, First uh, Peter, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. desires. You didn't know any better then, but now, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy as I am holy. And in a passage that we were just in, in one of our recent messages about the awkwardness of church, right? Remember this one? For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her what? Holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. So when it comes to holy, we have this tendency to think that holiness is a list of do's and a list of don'ts. I'm holy, I go to church three times a week, I read my Bible and I pray. I also volunteer at the food pantry. Ding. <laughs> I don't fornicate, cheat on my taxes, lie. Uh, what are the other things I'm not supposed to do? Oh, yeah, dance, smoke, <laughs> chew, tobacco. Now, that's all from the 1950s, right? Okay, so we have this tendency to think of holiness that way. Um, holy means set apart, set apart. Uh, if I could use a word in place of holiness, I would use, so the Max Vanderpool switch out word would be different. So when God says God is holy, God is different. And God wants you to be different the way God is different. So let me flesh this out a little bit, okay? So today, in, ca in case you fall asleep later in the message, here's where I'm going, okay? Embrace the awkwardness of holiness. Become different dot, 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 in all the right ways. Become different in all the right ways, all right? So we're gonna look at a passage today from 1 John. I love John of all the apostles because John is simple. I can still read John in Greek, and it's been like 30 years since I learned Greek. He's simple, he's straightforward, he's clear, and John loves dualism. He loves to light versus darkness, love versus hate, belief versus unbelief. You know, he's always putting these dualistic things in opposition to each other. And so, in 1 John, he's basically describing what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, and if, he, if I could condense it down, he basically says, if you don't got love, you don't got Jesus. At a base level, if you are not a loving person, you're not a Jesus person, because God is love. He says that in 1 John, okay? So we're gonna be in a passage in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, through uh, chapter two, verse two. And this is talking about holiness from a different angle because it's talking about sin and not sin. So if you brought a paper Bible, just open it up to the book of First John and we're gonna be going through this as we often do verse by verse. So First John 1, five through seven. This, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. So 
we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not participating, uh, practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So right off the bat, we have some of this dualism, light, darkness, light, darkness. And, and light and darkness cannot peacefully coexist. One of them always wants to win out over the other. Darkness wants to swallow up the light and the light wants to vanquish the darkness. So light and darkness can't get along. God is light and Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And later in this book of 1 John, John says, we are children of the light if we are followers of Jesus, so we should walk in the light. Now, there's a phrase in here in Greek and it's right here, we're not practicing the truth. Because we're Americans, we have this tendency to think of truth as a concept, an idea. Two plus two is four, that is true. Oh, it's over there in truth land. For the early Christians, truth was something you did. So the, when they talk about truth, the, they use the verb do truth. Do truth, do sin, do love. They use the language of doing to talk about these things because for the earliest Christians, a profession in faith, a profession of faith in Christ had to be matched by a life living it out, walking in the light. Walking's a Hebrew idiom, it means how you behave and live. So we walk in the light, verse seven, and that means we're cleansed from our sin. But our being cleansed from our sin, does that come from our walking in the light? Is that how we're cleansed? No. See, our obedience, our walking in the light isn't what cleanses us from our sin, it's Jesus. And he's gonna unpack this some more in the next few verses. So that's verse eight and uh, following. If we say we have no sin, if we claim we have no sin, we're not only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth, uh, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And if we say we've not sinned, we're making God out to be a liar. So apparently, even when we're walking in the light, we're not better than everyone else. See, apparently when we're walking in the light, our obedience and our righteousness isn't enough. Apparently, we have a problem with self-deception. Uh, we have a tendency to think that we're better than we really are. We have a tendency to fix blame on external things, uh, bad parenting, genetic predispositions, a lack of opportunity. And John says, no, no, we're sinners because it's what we do. <laughs> and so the good news is this but in verse nine, but, but if we confess our sins, confession builds a bridge Confession builds a bridge to God because when we confess our sins, uh, we're, we're not embracing a holier-than-thou attitude. We're not embracing hypocrisy. We're simply agreeing with what God already sees. When we confess our sins, it's not like God ever says, whoa, really? Do you think when you confess your sins, God is ever shocked or surprised? No. So when we confess, we're simply agreeing with what is. And uh, I love this story from Frederick the Great. So he was the uh, king of Prussia, big deal, 
But he, supposedly he went to this uh, prison in, in Potsdam, the Potsdam prison. And he was asking the uh, inmates, why are you here? Oh, my liege. I had a friend who stole bread. And then as he was running, he put the bread in my arms and they arrested me and I am here in prison and I am innocent. Oh, sir. And person by person had the same story. Oh, my liege. I am not guilty. Like I'm innocent. Da, da, da. So he gets to this guy who's in the corner. And by this time, Frederick the Great has figured it out. And so he says, why are you here? Who's to blame? And the guy says, well, I am. What do you mean? You know, Frederick says, well, my liege, I'm guilty. I, I did it. I, I deserve to be here. He, he summoned the guards, set this man free. Set this man free. He, he, this man is going to corrupt. If he stays in here, he's going to corrupt all these innocent people. Set, set this man free. <laughs> Let him go. When you and I agree with God about what's true in the sinful patterns of our lives, it brings about freedom, okay? Uh, verse 10 if I could go back, if we claim we've not sinned, the, the verb there ha, uh, conveys a, a ongoing persistent tenacity that, well, I'm not a sinner, you know, so if we have this persistent attitude uh, that we're in a perpetual state of denial, um, that makes God out to be a liar. Now, now John, if I, could, if I could categorize John in a way so that you could see it simply, from, from the book of 1 John, John talks about how, uh, what does it mean to know God? How do you know if you know God? And, and through all of his dualism stuff, he has some categories. So up here in the upper left-hand, right-hand side, uh, you can do good works and believe. And then you can do good works and not believe. You can not believe and do nothing. And you can believe and do nothing. According to John, only one of these four categories is an actual person who knows God, and that's the person who does good works and believes. And, and he fleshes this out in his, in his letter to these people, okay? So, so let me keep going, and, and we'll get to the meat of it here in John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will what? not sin. Now, wait a minute. You just told us that we're sinners. You just told us that we sin. It's what we do. And now you're telling us not to sin. Make up your mind for crying out loud. Make up your mind. So uh, why is John telling us this? So we don't sin. Okay. I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But there's another but. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before whom? the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. By implication, that means we're not truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sin, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. John is saying, look, be different. Be holy. Be more than just broken and sinful, but but if you do sin, when you do sin, remember, you have an advocate. 
the word here is used to describe someone in the first century who was a legitimate help to someone who had been accused of something. They were like a, vit, uh, uh, the modern day equivalent would be a victim's advocate or, or an advocate for someone, okay? And so uh, he's saying that you have an advocate. Of course, we know in scripture that Jesus is just the first advocate because he uses that same word, paraclete, to, de- to describe the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm giving to you an advocate. You'll have an advocate. So it's like, we got two advocates, okay? The Jesus and the Holy Spirit, okay? So, so then he says, uh, he, he is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Now, for those of you theologians, if you want to have coffee with me this week and talk about, well, is that, is that expiation? Is it propitiation? What is it? Some of you are like, what are those words? Fine, let's have coffee. We'll talk about it. <laughs> but for here, for this context, Jesus is what cleanses us from our sin. It's not what we do. Uh, helasmos has to do with the removal of guilt. And so... We don't need to walk around as hypocrites. We don't need to walk around as holier than thou because we know that any righteousness we have, right, is God working in us. And any standing that we have with God is based on what Jesus did on our behalf. That's really good news. And Americans don't understand this. Americans still believe, most Americans still believe that the way anything works is you gotta do it, you gotta earn it. You know, it's all on you. And that's not what we see in the Bible. So, let me ask some questions, all right? In light of what John has to say about sinning and not sinning and, and, and being different, to, to, what degree, to what degree do I pose or project an unreal version of me in church or at work or at, or at school? Would people who know me be surprised by how I am at home? In other words, do I need to embrace greater authenticity, Right? And the second question is, to what degree am I different? To what degree am I different? And I mean different in all the right ways. <laughs> different in all the right ways. Could, could I rightfully be accused of being holy? Right? So how does this, how can we live this out? Right? Given where the church is and given how God wants us to be different, God wants us to be holy, being real, yes, being real means acknowledging we are sinners too. So we should never forget that we're sinners. It's not just them out there who are sinners and need Jesus. We in here are sinners who need Jesus, all of us, okay? The, the second thing is we shouldn't give up on holy living, right? God and everyone else are rightfully expecting us to be different, and that identity comes because we're firmly rooted in Jesus. I'm convinced that the majority of the Christian life is simply us learning how to live out who we already are and what we already have. If you read the Apostle Paul, all he does in all of his letters is, this is who you are in Christ. This is what you have in Christ. This is who you are in Christ. This is what you have in Christ. And he keeps beating that drum and beating that drum. And he's convinced that if you could just get it on the inside, it would come out and you'd live it out. All right? Uh, another way we can take this home is to realize God is God and I am not. And so I don't get to determine what's sinful and what isn't. God does. This won't sell well real well in America because we like to determine ourselves what's <laughs> right and wrong and stuff like that. But God gets say. He's light. <laughs> All right? Another takeaway is when you get 
the atonement, when you get what Christ has done, some things start happening in you. And the work of the Holy Spirit in you, you'll find that over time, you actually start hating sin because of what it's sin did to Jesus. And then you find that you actually, you actually want to please God. It's the weirdest thing. But this happens in you because God's Spirit's in you doing these things. Um, and then lastly, uh, in 2018, please don't settle for just authenticity. I don't want gener... Here's the good news. This congregation right here does not have a problem with being real. In fact, we get in trouble a lot <laughs> in the community because we are too real and too upfront about our own flaws, failings, etc. So this is a real place. But let's not just settle for that. Let's embrace holiness and the awkward of holiness. Brett McCracken puts it this way. He says, it is the differentness it is the differentness of the gospel that changes lives and transforms the world. So what does holiness look like? What does holiness look like? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was someone motivated by God's love and who expressed God's love and selfless love for others. Jesus chose compassion over judgment. Jesus chose forgiveness over condemnation. Jesus chose understanding over prejudice. Jesus was on mission. He said frequently, I came to seek and save the lost. And yet he did so without ever having a holier than thou attitude. No one ever accused Jesus of thinking he was better than everyone else in any of the gospel accounts. And yet he was. <laughs> and he didn't reek it. He was someone living life to its fullest. So if you want to know what holy looks like, just look at Jesus. So gang, in, as we continue to walk out awkwardness, I, one of my pastoral hopes for us as a community of faith is that over time, the people that make up Generations Community Church our friends, our family will be able to say to us because of five years, 10 years, you know what? You've changed. You're different in all the right ways.